Welcome to Digital Garden State, a podcast by the New Jersey Health Information Management Systems Society. Welcome to the next installment of our New Jersey HIMSS podcast series, where we're exploring topics surrounding digital transformation initiatives within healthcare. New Jersey HIMSS is a consortium of healthcare professionals, providers, and vendors who are committed to promoting constant improvement in the use of information technology within the healthcare industry. I'm your host, Jim Hennessy. I serve as a board member for our New, Jer- New Jersey chapter, and I'm also the CEO of E4 Services, a healthcare consulting firm. Today's podcast is presented by one of our chapter sponsors, Comply Assistant. Comply Assistant is located in Colstead, New Jersey, and offers governance, risk, and compliance software and services to healthcare organizations of all sizes. Comply Assistant helps clients across the U.S. fill resource gaps through their virtual CISO service offerings. They conduct independent unbiased audits of HIPAA and several cybersecurity frameworks, all efficiently managed in their GRC platform. Their CEO is Jerry Blass, who is a prior colleague of ours on the New Jersey HIMSS board and currently serves as our co-chair of our chapter's Security, Privacy, and Compliance Committee. To learn more about them, visit their website at www.complyassistant.com. In our prior podcasts, we were able to explore digital transformation from the perspectives of chief medical information officers across New Jersey. Today, we're excited to have as our guest one of the nation's top leaders in digital transformation. Angela Yoakum serves as a chief transformation and digital officer at Novant Health and also serves as chief operating officer and general manager of Novant Health Enterprises. Novant Health is an integrated network of hospitals, physician clinics, and outpatient facilities that delivers a seamless and convenient healthcare experience to communities in North Carolina, South Carolina, and Georgia. The Novant Health Network consists of more than 1,800 physicians and over 35,000 team members who provide care at more than 800 locations, including 15 hospitals and hundreds of outpatient facilities and physician clinics. Welcome, Angela. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. There's so many areas I'd love to get your perspective on, but just for the sake of our listeners and ourselves, why don't we start with learning a little bit more about yourself, and if you could show some of your background on yourself, Novant, and your role there. Sure. Thanks so much. Well, I started my career um, a long time ago uh, as, a, as a very deep technologist. I um, uh, early on had an opportunity to build some of the largest transactional systems in the world, design, uh, build, launch uh, for uh, a number of very large brand name companies, some of which um, f- for which I work, some of the companies I worked as an employee and other companies, I was a consultant uh, when I was with IBM. And this experience taught me quite a bit about scale. Um, this experience early on in my career um, allowed me to work at a time when many of the capabilities that were required by um, a given company were not commercially available from a software company. So we had to build it ourselves. So if you look back on, you know, my patents or anything like that, that's all from that same era. You know, we had to do it all uh, from scratch. It was a tremendous proving ground. And, you know, certainly in the middle of the dot-com boom, we were all having a lot of fun. And and that's that's where I started. And over time, um, you know, I, I became addicted to scale and I, I became addicted to the solving the problems that come with extraordinarily large scale. Um, And there's nothing more complex than systems that have components that don't behave um, deterministically. (laughs) And so, you know, people don't behave deterministically. So um, those problems, when I say I became addicted to solving problems uh, with, with uh, larger and larger scale systems, um, 
starting incorporating people into those into those uh, problem sets uh, became you know where I where I love to play. So uh, I moved out of those deep tech roles into more a management of large scale tech teams, um, large scale distributed teams. Um, still largely in the architecture space. So I was able to identify solution sets, um, both those that are commercially available and those that needed to be uh, grown in-house or perhaps uh, co-created with a you know, variety of third-party types. And uh, again, roles just continued to scale and scale and scale. And ultimately, I, I moved from, from transforming systems to transforming divisions and now to transforming businesses and entire industries, one hopes, right? <laughs> that's what we all are here to talk about, right? So we, uh, so, so that's been sort of the, the, pro the progression of my career. And I've had a variety of C-level jobs and a variety of large companies. And most recently, um, Novant Health, as you mentioned, um, hired me about four and a half years ago. The, um, the CEO and the board uh, and other members of the executive team recognized that um, the traditional technology model um, of which Novant Health had an excellent uh, example <laughs> um, in-house, uh, the traditional technology model, while solid and while important, uh, was not going to be sufficient to respond to the changing consumer expectations and to keep up with the advances that are happening in medicine and science. You know, we, we couldn't just run a, a healthcare IT shop the way it had always been done. Um, and so the, they decided to bring me on board as someone who had um, a history of significant transformation in a variety of industries. And they they brought me on with a new title. And that title was um, chief initially chief digital and technology officer. And the CIO position reported into me, as well as CTO and a variety of other um, initial initial um, positions. Um, we created a number of new competencies, um, so chief data officer and all of those sorts of things. And ultimately, the role expanded to include all um, clinical informatics, um, also our digital health line of business, um, including operations for the entire digital health line of business, all on-demand services of all sorts are part of my world. Um, and uh, new business growth. And that's when I became Chief Transformation and Digital Officer. And now, as, as you may have seen in a recent press release, we have a spinoff, um, Novant Health Enterprises, that is all about commercialization of and productization and commercialization of a lot of those differentiating capabilities that are very, very difficult to build for uh, members of the healthcare ecosystem. Um, and so we, uh, in commercializing many of these capabilities, we'll be able to help expand the reach and amplify some of those capability sets that, that we've been uh, so focused on uh, delivering in the last few years. And for that role, I'm I'm also the uh, chief, uh, let's say, chief operating officer and general manager of that Novon Health Enterprises organization. So the the letters uh, continue to expand. <laughs> That's quite a number of hats that you're wearing there. Well, congratulations on that announcement, and and that really love to kind of work back through the piece because that really shows. A lot of organizations are just struggling to service their own organizations and just get to that point of feeling good there. The fact that you're able to get to that point and then look to see how you can bring some of those capabilities out to the market is pretty significant. So, so best of luck with that. That That's great news. Um, and maybe I want to jump back on a couple of things I picked up on there as you talked about throughout your career, focusing on scale. And certainly as I referenced Novant as 
as an organization, that's certainly a place of scale within there. What were, as you came on board, what, what have been some of the challenges or things that you found in trying to scale care delivery or that patient experience, that consumerism in within that organization? Well, I should, I should say right off the bat that I was very fortunate coming in because Novant Health had um, invested significantly in foundational technologies. So for example, we had a single Epic implementation across 800 plus uh, locations across um, you know, 37,000 uh, team members. And uh, there, there was no, you know, th- that foundation, as, as many of your listeners know, is so critical. So I didn't have to worry about, you know, modernizing that piece. Um, so that gave us a foundation from which we could build a lot of remarkable um, capabilities. Um, the, the key for us was in getting our hands on all that beautiful clinical data um, that lived inside of Epic and operational data that lived inside of Epic. Um, Epic provides a number of mechanisms by which we can access that data, um, but we wanted to be able to operate it on it quite freely without having to go through the Epic interfaces. And so what we've done is we've moved all of our Epic data into an Azure-based data store in the cloud. It's a data lake model. Um, And that allows, and we've, of course, built a robust API layer that sits in front of it. Well, what that means is that as we partner with a variety of third parties who do very specialized things, or as we build as part of our cognitive computing team, data science team, build our own in-house analysis tools, uh, we can operate on that data at will. And by the way, it's not just that data that sits in that data lake, right? It's all the data that streams in from a variety of devices. It's all the behavioral data that comes in from a variety of sources. And that is where we get a true, truly differentiated insight that we can um, we can provide to get to faster diagnosis, to get to more personalized treatment plans, in a way that doesn't interfere with you know the way in which our physicians and advanced practitioners are are providing care, but allows them to um, be alerted to um, risk factors or um, potential items of interest in a patient's history that otherwise may not have been obvious just looking at the notes in the traditional sense. So um, this has been, this has been, uh, um, it, it was all unlocked by availability of data. And that's one of the things I think over the past years, particularly since high tech and the implementation of the modernization of the EMRs, it's no longer now a shortage of data. It's, it's how do you use it? How do you govern it? What, what are the, some of the things that you, you mentioned having a chief data officer, but what are the, some of the other things that you've done within the organization um, as I talked to other organizations struggling with how do they put a governance in place for it? How do they get to that next stage? What are some of the things that worked well within your organization? Mm. Well, of course, there are a number of ways we can manage. Um, we, we manage this. First, there is an organizational alignment. So our chief data officer is responsible for um, not only the data engineering and infrastructure um, of, of the data estate, but also um, all integration as well as data science. So um, there, we, we only have two teams. We even have, I, I should say, we have only two analytics teams that live outside of the chief data officer's world. One is clinical analytics and one is in finance. And I'm happy for those teams to live outside of our world. Um, uh, uh, so, so, uh, but, but obviously they're operating on data that is still stored 
in our architecture, right? So it's it's still very easy to manage. So there's an organizational um, control aspect. Then secondly, we have a number of different um, governance bodies. So we have a privacy office that lives with our chief legal officer. So the privacy office is responsible for all things related to patient data, patient privacy. So they set policy around and, 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 and create governance constructs around the management of patient data and, and privacy uh, thereof. We have, um, uh, likewise, we have um, committees that are essentially, if you think about it in terms of um, product owners, product data owners, um, so that the, the people and culture team, which is what we call our HR team, um, they're focused on all of the, the team member data and employee health data and things related to, you know, that they again, have to be held with ex- in extreme confidence and treated as, you know, extremely private. Um, They manage a lot of the um, specifics around that data. And because this is a team that has a lot of um, demands on it, we also have a governance group that is made up of executive team members. So those that report directly to our CEO and that governance body focuses on prioritizing the work that that team does because you know, ungoverned, you know, that team could grow to a thousand people, um, (laughs) you know, and still be plenty busy um, because the opportunity and the significance of the value that we get from the work we do um, with our data is, is such that, you know, the demand is nearly unlimited. So over time, as we continue to grow that team, we also look very closely at the return we get from that work. And that's how we make decisions around what work goes through to that team. Well, and that's all all key things. You think about some organizations are just struggling to meet base reporting needs and think it's just IT. You, you've built full organizational alignment and, and some distributed use of that. So that's tremendous. One one thing I'd just love to stay on this topic before switching to a couple others is you've, you you talked about a couple of interesting pieces about the introduce of data sciences into it as well as trying to bring some of the, the analysis back into the care delivery. Any examples of where those two things have, have made an impact? Yeah, I mean, several examples. I mean, broadly speaking, I'll tell you that we, um, you know, we can predict a handful of major health events before they happen. And the models for each health event type, you know, differ. Um, but those predictions have changed the way we think about follow-up with our patients and engagement with our patients, um, particularly those that we perceive to be at high risk for a health event. So I'll give you several examples of that. Um, I'll give you a very simple example first, because it's one that will be familiar, I think, to everyone uh, in your audience. For those uh, Epic users, you know that Epic has an out-of-the-box suicide prevention module, and it's designed to to predict the likelihood of a patient uh, attempting suicide upon discharge from the emergency department, right? So this is particularly interesting for those behavioral health patients we just charge them. And that's, that's out of the box and out of the box. Um, and I may get some of these percentages wrong, but I'll give you approximate numbers out of the box. Um, that is about 75% accurate, which is pretty good. You know, that's pretty good. Um, our data science team first created a homegrown solution to expand that using our code. So, if those of you familiar with R, you know, the data scientists love it. And they were able to create models that got us to about 89% accuracy. 
So that's pretty exciting, right? Because that gives us a lot more confidence about how we follow up with those patients. Um, Now we've just launched an AI-based solution, again, built by the data science team, um, in concert with um, a partner, an AI uh, uh, software company that has decided to co-create with us. Um, We've now launched a module that we believe will start is starting at the low 90s percent accuracy. And because it is a learning algorithm, it will only get more accurate over time. So that's a simple example of how building out a data science competency can give you a, you know, some quick wins as well as some extraordinarily sophisticated wins that make a real difference in patients' quality of life or life itself. Um, so it's investment well worth making, in my opinion, uh, to hire a few data scientists. Yeah, that's tremendous. That, that's that's exciting to hear, being able to now put that information right to use in that type of tangible way. That, that's pretty exciting. Let me, um, let me use some of the things you mentioned there as far as how you're able to then engage and interact with the patients a little bit more to talk about. You'd mentioned as, as you came in, there was over, Epic was already in place already from a, a care delivery model that that was already in, in a good place, probably always looking to improve upon that. But how, is, how have you been focusing on what areas within the patient experience outside of that care model, that care part, have you been focused on in, as you're looking for your, your solution? Yeah, well, obviously, we, when we think about delivering care to patients, yes, of course, there's a quality aspect. And that's what we've been talking about up to this point. Um, and I'd love to talk more about some of those things because they're really cool and I'm very geeky. So um, maybe we'll get time to that today. Otherwise, you know, we'll talk about it offline. Um, but if the patients can't access that high quality care, that's a problem. And so we have another focus that's all about providing access to care. Part of that is engaging patients the way they have been trained to engage with a number of other entity types. So all of us, um, if we've been trained about, you know, how do we order food? How do we, um, how do we travel? How do we manage our finances? How do we manage our bank accounts? If we, if, if we have bank accounts, you know, how do we, how do we engage with our communities and the schools that our, our kids go to? And, and how do we engage with our governments, our local governments, our federal governments? You know, this is a training that's been going on for, you know, years. And we're not only training our patients, I'm sorry, the, the society in which we live is not only training our patients to engage in a, um, uh, a, a primarily digital fashion, but it's also training our patients to have a more cohesive and consistent engagement with the various entities that are important in the patient's life. So what that means is our digital tools need to be as engaging as Amazon is for our patients. Um, you know, let's take Amazon for a moment. Amazon knows, so I've been using a Kindle now for goodness, however long it's been out. So what is that? 15 years, 20, I don't know. So I've always had one and, uh, you know, thousands of books. So they know everything I read. Um, fair disclosure, my girls share the candles, so there was a lot of young adult stuff in there for a few. Don't get blamed for everything. That's it. <laughs> Just to be clear, there's some you know noise in that data, but um, but, but they know everything I read. Uh, you know, they they know what I watch on Amazon Prime. They have I have the 
Echo devices in my house, so they probably have a good handle on conversations that happen in my private home. Um, you know, there's, there's actually quite a bit of scary things there, but um, there's a tremendous amount of data, and Amazon is really good at using it very well to target, um, to, 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 to send me things that are interesting to me. Um, and that's, you know, that mechan- that those methods have, are as old as the hills, um, but they've become more sophisticated with the advent of, you know, more advanced computing capability and, you know, the, um, the um, explosion of data that's available to them. There's an expectation on the part of a consumer that um, retailers, for example, know them. And it's frustrating when they engage with, with an entity like a healthcare company and the healthcare company doesn't seem to know them. That's frustrating. And they, they, I, would, I would dare say that many patients, many of our consumers don't, can't, put a, can't put their finger on why they're frustrated. Uh, but, but that's why, in large part, that's why they're frustrated. It's just, it's just hard to engage in, one's, in the management of one's health and wellness. Uh, we put a lot of um, procedural uh, blocks up, and, and, and for good reason in many cases, right? I mean, there's some, you know, obviously regulatory requirements and you know, things that we're doing that are focused on and optimized for patient safety, and all of that is valid and real and will continue. But there are other ways in which we can make it easier for our patients to engage. For example, um, we recently launched something called Novant Health Now, and it's essentially a digital care platform that serves as a one-stop shop for our patients. Um, it acts as, so, so, so we've always had a physician, not always, but for years we've had like a physician finder. Everyone has that, right? And we think ours is really sophisticated and it is, and we partnered with a third party on it and it, it looks great. But now um, our, if you want to get matched with a physician, this is like a matchmaking service. So we'll match you to a physician. It's not just like, hey, you want to find a physician and here's a list and good luck. You know, we'll we'll create matches. We'll create percentage matches and you know, we don't have any swiping right or left, but <laughs> there, but but there is a you know there is a little bit more sophistication to that that sort of match. Um, we also have you know a number of chatbots that allow um, our patients to ask very quick questions and get very quick answers, and you know that is useful. How many times at ten o'clock at night are you thinking about something and you just you know you have a question and what are the chances you're going to get somebody in a healthcare company, you know, to, to, if you want to call them on the phone or you send an email and how do you even find the right email? And, you know, one hopes that you have a good relationship with, with your, uh, your, your primary care physician's office and, and, and can use my chart messaging or some other mechanism like that to communicate, but you're still waiting till the next day. And maybe it's a simple question. And the only way you're going to get your question answered if your healthcare company does not have that sort of mechanism in place is to go to Dr. Google. You know, and there's nothing wrong with Dr. Google. Well, there's a lot wrong with Dr. Google, but at least there's some, you know, I don't, I don't begrudge Dr. Google because that allows our patients to gain answers to questions that they might need. And, and if there's something going on and they need to know if it's serious and it needs to be addressed at that moment in time, you know, doing a, a quick search can tell them, but we can also tell them in our um, chatbots. So that's, that's just silly things, you know, that have, that have been available for a long time in other industries that we can bring forward that just create a more familiar and comfortable engagement um, mechanism for our patients. That, so we're, we're focused on that piece as well. Well, that's tremendous. And I think two things that come out of that. One is for many of us who are in the healthcare IT industry, living in that industry, bringing your perspective from coming from other industries in has helped with that, that different thought process towards that consumer focus. Mm-hmm. The, the question I have is, are you seeing as you're starting to roll these out, 
any differences in generational adoption hmm. within your consumer base there? Are you seeing it and maybe how you're overcoming that? Well, um, we learned so much over the last two years. So two years ago, we've, we've had a robust um, virtual care, on-demand care um, uh, capability set for a while. So um, we had all the operations in place. Uh, like I said, that's part of my digital health team. Um, when we had to take the entire medical group and make them available through vir scheduled virtual visits, um, we had the mechanisms in place to turn that on overnight. The only reason it took us 48 hours <laughs> is because we needed to train all of the physicians and advanced practitioners in the medical group how to use the platforms. So that, that took about 48 hours. And, that, and, and so we were immediately up and running. Uh, we had many days where we had 25, close to 30,000 virtual visits a day. Um, we've evened out, I think, around 2,000 a day now. I mean, because all, all the clinics are back open and have been for a while. Um, but in, in being forced, in having our patients be forced to use that mechanism, because they had no other option to receive care other than going to the emergency department um, for a period of time when everything shut down, um, we learned quite a bit about adoption. And what we found is that the boomers uh, were very enthusiastic adopters of virtual care. Um, we found them to be more, I think, and I'm going to speculate here, but my speculation is they think a lot more frequently about their health than the 20-somethings. Because 20-somethings are pretty healthy, just in general. Little more carefree. I remember those days vaguely, <laughs> you know. But the, the 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 people who are in their, you know, sixties and seventies and eighties are you know thinking quite a bit on a daily basis about their health, and they have a lot of questions. And being able to use these mechanisms that are fairly intuitive, fairly easy to use, we'd like to believe, um, to allow them to receive care on demand, uh, that's that's actually lovely. For them, right, and they, they realize that, and they've they've quite liked it, and and because they're also simultaneously being a little more careful than the rest of us in terms of, well, I say other generations in general. I personally am a germaphobe, so I didn't go out for two years practically, but <laughs> maybe not quite that bad. But they're being very careful, um, so they they don't want to go into an office, even when the office is opened up. If they get a chance to do you know a virtual visit, they'd rather do that. So that that's been an interesting learning. Um, now, as in terms of the Novant Health Now and using these fancy tools to do matching of your, you know, the matchmaking with your physician of choice, I think there, you know, I, I think we're seeing more adoption on the younger end uh, of folk. But, you know, in fairness, a lot of our patients um, who are who are older, I mean, they've they've we still have the traditional means by which they can engage us and find a physician, right? And, and they may be set with their providers already, and they're likely set with the providers already, although. For example, my parents um, just moved to Charlotte. They moved here from Tennessee, which we don't have a, pre a, a presence in Tennessee. Novant Health doesn't. So I got a chance to see through the eyes of my parents who are and who have, I should say, fair disclaimer, always been extraordinarily technically proficient and very savvy. Um, but still, generationally, their late 70s moved to Charlotte and um, uh, had no problem, you know, they love my chart. They love the expansion, the the the, the Novant, my, my Novant expansions we've done to, to my chart. Um, they love the 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 ease with which they've been able to get questions answered, and um, you know it's it's 
it's been interesting. And, you know, there's some things they don't like as much. So, for example, um, as you know, and as everyone on your podcast knows, um, there are requirements about being able to, you know, test results get immediately projected to the patient. Right. Right. So the patient sometimes sees test results before the provider sees test results. And that's a that's a requirement. That's a regulatory requirement. Right. We we have no choice. We have to do that. Um, that's a little uncomfortable for my parents to see that because they're they're savvy enough to see the my chart message. They test result. Oh, great. Let's look at the new test result. In they go. And like, I, I don't know what this means. <laughs> Is this good? Is this bad? You know, because they're very technically proficient and very smart and highly educated, but they're not physicians. <laughs> so, you know, they don't know what some of these test results mean. So, um, uh, so I think that's, that's felt a little disjointed to them, but you know, that's probably something that every generation feels to some degree. Yeah. No, interesting. Yeah. And they're running to Dr. Google, as you mentioned <laughs> before, they're hearing from their own provider uh, on the interpretation yeah. of that. So well, that's great. Well, this has been a great conversation before I wrap. I, I'd love to get your thoughts going back to as you came into Novant and as you set the strategy and tactics for those organizations that maybe aren't as advanced in establishing their transformation initiatives, any recommendations on where to get started or or things that they should focus on first? One of the, I'm going to answer that in a couple of different ways. Um, And I'm going to tell you what they are. So I don't forget the second one as I go. So the, the first thing I'd like to, to address is culture. And the second thing I'd like to address is um, the practice. Um, so culturally, one of the things that attracted me to Novant Health is the understanding on the part of the board, the CEO, and the rest of the executive team that um, that that business innovation, care innovation, was extraordinarily intertwined with technology advances. And they were looking for someone who could come in and be a partner in that innovation of understanding that healthcare is an industry under transformation, just in general, which I guess, in fairness, what industry is not under transformation right now. Um, But but understanding that healthcare certainly is um, the way in which we are getting paid is changing. The expectations of consumers is changing. Regulatory landscape continues to change. I mean, et cetera, et cetera. Right. so they were willing to not just bring someone in so that that person could sit in a box and fix things, but bring someone in to be a partner, a business partner, sitting at the executive team table and participating in solving the most difficult problems that our system is, is addressing. And that willingness and that inclusive spirit that willingness to learn from external um, entities, um, that that was so intriguing to me. And, and by the way, I'm not the only executive team member that came from outside of healthcare. Our chief commercial officer um, is a former uh, banking executive. Uh, our chief administrative officer is a former um, very well-known litigator. Even our chief medical officer uh, who is a practicing brain surgeon is uh, a former aerospace engineer. So here we have a guy who's a rocket scientist and a brain surgeon. So we're that, that's <laughs> we're we're very fortunate. Um, so it's been, it, I think, culturally, it's important that leadership teams understand that diversity of thought 
is a true differentiator. And if you don't have diversity of experience and diversity of thought on your executive team and the people making the biggest decisions for your, for your system have all only ever been in healthcare and they're all MDs, as brilliant as they no doubt are, uh, you know, that's a lot of sameness. So um, being willing to be humble and to learn from other perspectives has been, uh, has been extraordinary. I should add, probably speaking of being humble, when you come on board to a company where a lot of people are MDs or MD PhDs, uh, that's also a humbling experience <laughs> when one neither has an MD nor a PhD, <laughs> uh, but it's a, it's a, a fabulous because everyone is uh, so smart and accomplished. It's wonderful. So the second thing I, I think is, is more operational in, in nature that I'd recommend. And that is, um, and that is to, to change the, if, if your engagement model is, is a very traditional one, in other words, in other words, you're thinking about your technology estate and your data estate as being something that you must first, that they're optimizing for stability only and, and protecting against change. What you are doing is you are denying your patients an opportunity to learn that they have a major heart health event that's about to happen. You're denying your patients an opportunity to access care in a way that you know may not be available through commercial means right now. So you have to build it in-house. Um, you're denying your patients experiences that are to be expected now. I mean, I, I'll give you another example. Our cancer patients that require infusions we have a brand new gleaming, gorgeous cancer center with an infusion room that is beautiful. It looks like a spa and, you know, views of uptown Charlotte and all the rest of it. There's no waiting room in that. So when a patient comes in for the day and maybe sees their hematologist, maybe sees their oncologist, and they're finally coming in for their transfusion, uh, they know, sorry, their infusion, they walk, they walk straight to the chair at the appointed time. So it's a it is a scheduling, it is an AI-based scheduling mechanism that we uh, co-created with IQ. It's been amazing. It's been amazing. Um, so these are the sorts of things that if you're not creative, you're not willing to try those new things that are going to radically change how a patient thinks about um, or how a, patient can, how a patient expands on his or her willingness to manage their own health and wellness with you, um, becoming part of their care team with you and making it as easy as possible, then you are not serving your patients, even if your Epic system is super rock solid. <laughs> there, there's just so much more to be done. And so I think that expanding mindset and willingness to do creative engineering work is, is very important. Those are, are both great perspectives. And, and, and this conversation has been outstanding. Thank you so much for this. I'd love to keep going on, but I know that we're, uh, we're hitting the time here and, and look forward to hopefully having a chance to talk more on other topics we didn't get a chance to talk to today. So, um, so first of all, thank you so much for, for joining us today. It's been great to, um, to, to hear those insights. And then to our audience, thank you um, for, for making time to listen with us. Hopefully you enjoyed listening to us as much as we enjoyed having this conversation. Um, in closing here, uh, please check out all the podcasts for interesting information on information technology topics through your favorite podcast platform. Um, on behalf of the New Jersey Hymns chapter, Angela, thank you for joining us today. And to our audience, thank you for listening.
Thank you. Thank you.